Lord, I come before you, love to sing your praise. I worship and adore you, as you fill me with your grace. Lord, I come before you, surrounded by your love. When it comes down to your mercy, you know I just can't get enough. On my door more than once before I can finally hear you call my name Send your mercy down Let the trumpet sound Now my heart cries out to you in I come before you Love to sing your praise I worship and adore you As you fill me with your grace Everyone, if you're new to the program, my name is Jeff. Thank you for being here. 
I have a really uplifting show for you, but I'm going to start out with something really depressing, folks. Um, but you're, the contrast is going to be worth it, I promise you, if you hang on. Uh, just a couple things I want to get out of the way, and I really want your feedback. As we get into the heat of summer, I'm going to be, I'm planning to do less video shows on Rumble, which take just a tremendous amount of time and resources, and do more of these live Podbean shows. Of course, the replays will be published, but I want as many people to be able to join the lives as possible. You know, so currently I'm doing them at, uh, well, right now it's Friday mornings at 9 a.m., and I've been doing these fairly regularly. However, I want you to tell me the time and the day that is best for you to join a live podcast on Podbean. So what is the best time and day for you to join a podcast live on Podbean? You can put it in the chat. You can put it in the comments. You can send me an email at writeonjeff at gmail.com. You can tag me on uh, Telegram at Right On Radio. Uh, you know, there's a number of ways you can contact me, but I really want your feedback. I am here to serve you, and I would like the most of you to be able to join live because I just love being able to see the chat and participate in it as well. So thank you in advance for that uh, feedback. Going into the weekend here, we have a uh, a lot of stuff going on, but as the title of this broadcast indicates, I'm going to do news in brief, because the news cycle right now is like a fire hose. It's, there's just so much news to consume, and quite honestly, whenever... The news is there to distract you and to program you. It's propaganda. And that's why, you know, having communities like this uh, are important. And, you know, this show, I get a lot of information from you, the listeners. I just have the voice. But a lot of the stuff I'm putting out comes from this community. And I thank you to all of those of you who contribute and, uh, and I do accept your contributions. Again, write on Jeff at gmail.com, or you can tag me on a post on Telegram, on Twitter, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, I certainly like to see what you guys are thinking as well and bring it forward. I get so much stuff, it's hard to prioritize. So if you send something in and I don't put it on air, it doesn't mean it's not good. It's just I have a lot of stuff, and obviously I do a tremendous amount of research on my own. But I think the biggest story today that I want to cover in brief is the nuclear threat that is happening in Ukraine right now. If you are not aware, there's this, uh, you know, they blew the, the dam, and, you know, there's been a huge water emergency, and now the Russians have occupied the largest nuclear plant there, 
and the Ukrainians are saying the Russians are going to use a dirty bomb and blow up the nuclear plant, and the Russians are saying the same about the Ukrainians, except the Russians <laughs> wouldn't do it because it would harm them more than it would hurt. They, it, they would have nothing to gain from it. So, you know, just bear in mind, Zelensky, the actor puppet put in charge of Ukraine, he has two jobs. They want to weaken Putin, obviously, because Putin has been going against the elites. And don't get me wrong, Putin is not a good guy, folks. I'm not saying he is. He, he's playing a role here, too. He's part of the whole dark to light scenario, as far as I'm concerned. He was a member of the young leaders of WEF. Never forget that. And you do not get to be the uh, El Presidente of the Russian Federation by being a good guy, folks. It's just not, that's not the way it works in Russia. Uh, however, it appears, you know, he's fighting the same people we are and rah, rah, rah. You have to understand how old this plan is. And in fact, how precise the plan is. And on the spiritual side, we've been covering the Alice Bailey stuff, which really seems to infuse the Q stuff that is happening right now. But on the dark side of the cabal, they have a plan as well. And I just want to remind you, I'm not going to read it. You can easily find this. Uh, I have read it on air before. But I want to remind you of the plan for World War III as written by Albert Pike. He's kind of like the head Freemason guy. You know, he wrote the book Dogma and stuff like that. Um, and a quote from it, after destroying their current Zionist political rule, removing the governments of nations, they will unveil Lucifer and their one world religion will rule. This is their darkness to light, folks. And he, in 1871, he ruled, he rolled out the plan for the First World War, the Second World War, and the Third World War. It's all there. Uh, all these people have put the information out there, and it is running according to plan. Now, back to Zelensky. He not only is there to weaken Russia, to give us a propaganda tool to have the world try to turn against Russia. It is not working. But what I don't think a lot of people realize, and this is just my opinion, his other role is to destroy the Ukraine. And if you've been following it, he has been destroying the Ukraine. Zelensky and his Nazi army have done more damage to the people and the structures in Ukraine than Putin has. Putin has been very slow to move, very strategic, and very careful about what he is doing there. So make no mistakes. Zelensky is there to destroy 
the Ukraine. Why? Well, the Ukraine has been called the breadbasket of the world. Are they trying to short our food supply? Look at all the food processing plants that have been destroyed in the U.S. in the last year, and Canada, and around the world for that matter. Why are they trying to take away the farmers' fields? Why are they... And this is around the world. It's not just in the Netherlands. It's in Canada. It's in the U.S. You know, all these cattle in Texas. It's happening around the world. They want to cut off the food supply so you will only eat manufactured food. That's one. The other one is they want to destroy the Ukraine because it is one of the laundry mats for the elite. And Trump has exposed it. They gotta get rid of the evidence, folks. Ukraine can bring a lot of people down. But having said that, with that nuclear plant, the Ukrainians cut the main power supply to the nuclear plant. Because you have to understand, although a nuclear plant produces energy, it needs energy to have its operation system so it can create energy. And it has been back on backup power for weeks. And it's in a bit of a dangerous situation right now. And of course, with the threat of a dirty bomb on it, um, if Zelensky does that, Russia is going to retaliate. If Zelensky does it with you know, uh, Western weapons, there's going to be a retaliation. Putin has made his words with certainty on this subject. Now, of course, this is all theater because I believe it's all planned and they're playing out their roles. But there is a lot of reason to be fearful these days. The the psyops that are going on around the world with actual evidence and stuff that is taking place. They do want a great reset. That is not a psyop. They do want to bring in a new financial system. That is not a psyop. So when your food supply is being threatened, your absolute security and freedom are threatened with this new digital ID and digital currency. Folks, this stuff is real. And any of you who have kids, who have grandkids, is one thing to fear for ourselves, but more so for our younger generations and what will come of them. So I decided to read to you something that was sent to me today that I think just will be a tremendous encouragement to you. And it's a little bit long, I will admit, but it's well written, it's well done, and the message at the end is just spectacular, in my humbled opinion. I've read something from this uh, this person before who uh, will just go as SB, uh, he doesn't seem to want the fame, but SB has been sending me stuff really since the beginning of this podcast. And it's more of a commentary. It's, it's in this style in which I'm going to read to you. And just some of them really strike me. And 
this one, the uh, the timing, I think, is just right to read this. So I'm going to have a quick drink of water and then drink, then uh, read this to you. It starts out with scripture. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Revelation 1, verses 12 to 18. The Apostle John is seeing Jesus in a way that he has never quite seen him before, and the Lord is inviting him into a new place. When this happens, the first thing that strikes his heart is fear. And the Lord says, Do not yield to it, because I am the one talking to you. I believe that Jesus is showing himself in a new way. True beloved righteousness. A different side of the Jesus we have known and followed for many years is being revealed to us, and he is inviting us into new places, and sometimes that can make us afraid. This is not what I was taught growing up. This is new to me. Is this okay? For those that are wrestling with this on the inside, do not yield to fear. It's me. I am the one talking to you. I am the one inviting you. This message is for me. This grace is for me. The Lord is laying his right hand of reassurance upon us as he says, do not yield to fear. And just a quick stop there with a commentary from myself. Do not yield to fear is not a suggestion. It sounds like a very bold commandment from your Lord. That's the way it reads to me. Back to the paper. A lot of fear and anxiety that we wrestle with on a daily basis is connected to an unwillingness to lay 
some things down. A common attribute of character of Yahweh we tend to forget about is the worth of God. If you recall the song, All the Elders Cast Their Crowns, this is what happens in heaven when you see the worth of God. There is a natural response that it is to lay down and to cast their crown to the ground. Some of the fear of some of the anxiety are from these dreams you hung on to aspirations. You may have even had some misconceptions or ambitions you hold on to. And there is a jealousy in the Lord's heart towards us as we hold on to these things. If we could just see his worth, it would create an authentic worship within us. And there is a vulnerable prayer you are willing to pray that annihilates all the performance and all of the fear, just an authentic worship and a vulnerable prayer that says, it's all for sale. Some people ask, where did the crown come from? He gave it to them. There are some things that are appropriate for you and I to hold on to until you find the right measure of presence. And when you find the right measure of presence, it is there you let it all go. Even the things he gave you, even the things he crowned you with, yay, but the Lord gave me this dream and you have carried it and you have carried it. But he is calling us now to cast it. Because it is there, you will know you were supposed to have it. But you will never know for sure if you're supposed to have it until you are willing to let go of it. Cast your bread upon the waters. And in not many days, it will come back to you. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. One of the rewards we are promised is the crown of righteousness that has been laid up for us. Yet when they got in the raw, authentic, undoing presence of God, they knew that nothing that was of value needed to be attached to anybody but him. So they threw it at his feet. During a worship service several months ago, I heard the clinking noise of the cymbals on the drums in a way I had not heard them before. And I thought about the crowns landing on the ground and hitting the sea of glass. As we say once again, I'm all in. I'm all yours. It's all yours. I was saying these exact words. I am all yours. I'm all yours. And everything we had in Georgia, we, where we had planted a church, God gave us. But it wasn't ours to keep. And when he asked for it, we threw it at his feet. And now he led us to Charlotte. And graciously, according to his will, 
gave it all back to us. Everything we had in Georgia before we moved to Charlotte, and now we see what he has built in Charlotte, North Carolina, by creating such a hunger in the remnant of the saints of God's word and the presence. It is becoming contagious as many are awaking to their identity and righteousness in Yahweh. Everything we had in Georgia, God gave us, and there are times when he asks for it all back. Your prosperity where you are, your home where you are, your finances where you are, your sense of control. And when this fear thing really began to stir in my heart, the Lord wanted perfect love to cast out fear because fear carries with it the anticipation of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 1 John 4, verse 18. When the Holy Spirit began to make that a living reality in our fellowship, it began to deal with the issue so many believers struggle with. And some refer to it as future tripping, imagining something that has not happened and most likely will not happen. Therefore, you have traveled there without grace. Yahweh warned us to take no thought for tomorrow because sufficient is the day. Tomorrow will take thought for itself. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of a field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you little of faith. Matthew 6, 28-30 In other words, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your own stature? When you go ahead in the flesh, following after carnal cravings, you leave grace behind because grace is present for people who have not known how to be present. Anxiety comes when we go ahead into the future event that has not happened. More than likely will not happen. Many have promised that it will not happen, so we go there without grace because it was what we want. And we camouflage it by putting God's name on it. But if you stay right here in the present moment, there is grace. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. 
with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 6-7. to seven. Be anxious for nothing. What do we do instead? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What is the response to anxiety? Thanksgiving. Because when you become thankful for where you are right now, currently, instead of fearing where you will be in the days ahead, you disempower the anxiety that comes to you to say, where are we going to be in six months from now? Where will we be in 12 months from now? What about 90 days from now? I had enough money to eat today, but what about tomorrow? Thank God you had enough money to eat today. And that thanksgiving will provoke in you the grace to believe God for tomorrow once tomorrow shows up. I have walked this journey and can sing all the words to this song. And here is the picture we should see. Thanksgiving is the key because the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, whether we know it or not, we generally find ourselves with two things racing on the inside of us, peace and understanding, both of which are good, but understanding is exceptional. However, however understanding is not as exceptional as peace. You and I need our peace to always be ahead of our understanding. If we get two in our head, our understanding will start to outrun our peace, and we will feel it when understanding is winning the race. There is nothing wrong with understanding, but it has to, it has got to undergrid and serve peace. Excuse me. The scriptures say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9. So the main thing is peace. I don't know how we are going to get from here to there or understand how I will get from here to there. I don't understand how this connects to that or the other thing, but I have peace. As we walk on the journey, we come into specific moments and peace is with us. I don't know how it's all going to work out. 
The reason why is because you don't have to be the one that works it out. You and I have to be the one that stays in the posture of thanksgiving and let peace surpass understanding. This will cause your level of anxiety to be in direct proportion with whether peace or understanding is winning the race. David said this, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. If the enemy can get you to question your righteousness, he can get you to come into agreement with the potential for being forsaken. Oh, did you hear that? I got to read that again. If the enemy can get you to question your righteousness, he can get you to come into agreement with potential for being forsaken. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. But if I can get you to question whether you are righteous, I can get you to come into agreement that being forsaken is a potential outcome. Yahweh does not abandonment as he is incapable of it. Every one of us is right in our own eyes, and we all view the scriptures according to the correct context. But out of ten born-again Christians, we will have ten different perspectives of one section of the scriptures. An important section we see this is when Jesus was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some believe because we were taught he abandoned Jesus on the cross, while others believe he was quoting David. It raises the question of what Jesus said before the Passion to the Apostles. All of you will leave me and scatter, but my Father will never leave me. John 16, verse 32. In order to infer anything correct about the statement above, we should have an understanding of the soul. A lot of times we have preconceived notions about Bible and belief systems because we have been taught that way from early years, and in essence, that's all we know. We have been conditioned to believe certain things about life and blindly apply that cognitive bias throughout other arenas. Where does the soul go after death is one of these questions. Some people think that the soul, like the body, goes back to its original state after death. They go on to say about the soul, however, was not there any cognizant uh, before God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils? The body returns to dust. Therefore, after death, the soul no longer exists in that sense. 
This does not necessarily imply that God cannot restore the soul to consciousness. Acts 2 verses 25 to 27 describes Christ as, For David says unto him, I was seeing the Lord before through everything, because he is at my right in order that I may not be moved. On account of this my heart rejoiced, and my tongue exulted, and yet also my flesh shall rest upon hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, neither will you give your Holy One that he should see corruption. Here we discover that although Christ's soul was in Hades, it was not left there. He was, in other terms, resurrected. This demonstrates that after death, the soul travels to Hades. They argue that it is not a location of torment because that is expressed in terms of sleep. This led, in some later eras, to believe that Hades was divided into two halves, one for the good and one for the evil. But the other side is convinced there is nothing like this in the Bible. And that was just humanity's attempt to maintain the notion that Hades was hell and that a place of torment for the wicked while attempting to explain how all men could go to Hades. The Greek Septuagint is important in the sense that Acts chapter 2 verse 27 quotes the Septuagint translation of Psalm 1610 where Sheol is rendered by the Greek word Hades. Hold on to this, folks. I'm, I'm just pausing for a second. You might think this is all over the place, but he's building a really good case here. And the ending in my it knocked my socks off, folks. So hang on. <clears throat> not only was God not forsaking Jesus. He was actually in him reconciling the world to himself. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. And if this religion notion of potential betrayal of you is buzzing around in your mind, it's important singing the songs of understanding like, you are never going to let me down. He is never going to let you down. But here is how you and I are psychologically wired here. In the West, we are wired to move away from something that we believe has the potential of rejecting us. For years, there have been people in my life that have walked away from me, and I wept over their walking away because I knew what they were really dealing with was the fear of rejection. So instead of me rejecting them, they walked in order 
they walked away in order to try to protect themselves, and in doing so, they missed it. Do you know how many people reject love because later on they believe it's going to equal rejection and it's easier to walk away rather than experience it? What the Father is doing is a perfect love. And if it is a perfect love, then it casts out all fear. If it's a perfect love, then it does not have the capacity for betrayal as it does not walk away. It does not drop you. He is not blessing you now so he can pull the rug out from you later. Yahweh is not capricious. This is his nature. When you walk through life with this peace, there is such a measure of grace given to communicate this to others so we don't have to change the subject. He is setting people free from fear. If we are honest with ourselves, which is the main problem for saints here in the West, we all have dealt with fear of rejection at one time or another. There are plenty of testimonies from brethren that have gone before us that can encourage us through the power of the Holy Ghost to be able to walk with him in relationship, free from fear. It is perfect love that accomplishes this, agape, other-oriented love, other-centered, self-giving love. Agape is so significant in that it puts the orientation of another above the favor of oneself. This is where we get the great verses like, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 I know as someone that has walked with the Lord as long as you, and has the privilege and the blessing of being connected to the one of the few authentic, grace-driven, spirit-led movements over the last century. There are many occasions where you would be in a service where it felt like the roof could come off. The building and the spirit of praise and thanksgiving in the room, that is not an exercise of futility or emotion. That is thanksgiving. And every time you engage in thanksgiving, your peace pushes higher and your understanding has to undergird your peace. Thanksgiving is a protection mechanism against future tripping because if I can just stay fully focused on how thankful I am for today, then I don't get over into tomorrow playing out imaginary scenarios, most of which he has promised will not come to pass. But what I do have is promises that it will go well for me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. 
Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, he will condemn. If God be for me, who can be against me? The battle is not mine, but belongs to the Lord. Yahweh is my revelation, light and the source of my salvation. I fear no one. I'll never turn back and run. For you, Yahweh, surround and protect me. When evil ones come to destroy me, they will be the ones who turn back. My heart will not fear, even if an army arises to attack. I will not be shaken, even if war is imminent. Here's the one thing I crave from Yahweh, the one thing I seek above all else. I want to live with him every moment in this house, beholding the marvelous beauty of Yahweh, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to contemplate in his temple. In the day of trouble, he will treasure me in his shelter under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, out of reach from all my enemies who surround me. Triumphant now, I'll bring him my offerings of praise, singing and shouting with ecstatic joy. Yes, I will sing praises to Yahweh. Hear my cry. Show me mercy and send me the help I need. I heard your voice in my heart saying, Come, seek my face. My inner being responded, Yahweh, I am seeking your face with all my heart. Psalm 27, verses 1 to 8. It is then that my head shall be left, lifted up above mine. Enemies round me, and I say of the Lord, He is my rock, strength, my refuge, my God in Him I will trust. These are the promises of the everlasting presence of Yahweh in his children. Do you remember when the prophet turns to his servant who is freaked out over the encampment of the enemy round about him? He said, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And around that army was a vast army. The army surrounding the inferior army was an army of fire. This was the word of God. Open his eyes so he knows that our for us are greater than those that are against us. This is revival. If you have an encounter during a service with the Lord, but you wake up in the middle of the night paralyzed by fear, there's a good chance it was an emotional experience of the flesh, and we didn't get very far. 
When you lay your head down on the pillow at night and wake up with sweet sleep, knowing that you have been kept under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty, this is when it starts to get fun. You come off that roller coaster ride of being in panic and sometimes in worry, sometimes anxiety, and sometimes you feel fine. And from this point on, it's from faith to faith and glory to glory. Moving forward, take a deep breath and get it in your head. He is for you and not against you. Religion would love to teach you that he may later on change his mind and be against you. But he is immutable and never changes. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He was for you when you were doing wrong things. And here you are submitting to his ways. Now after him with your own heart and you have questions about how the future is going to turn out? No, 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 no. Take no thought for tomorrow. I find it interesting that nowhere in the scriptures am I able to find the word responsibility. I have looked into three different languages and various lexicons, and I can't find the word responsibility. If you're able to find it, let me know. Because the kingdom of God is not about what is God's responsibility and what is yours. But what you do find is grace giving you the ability to respond. It is not about responsibility, but about you being empowered with the ability to respond. And you and I, in the past, as well as many saints here in the West, have fallen into a subtle but dangerous works orientation around the idea of responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. So we start to think about requirements while failing to understand that what verse is actually saying is in its root form is trying to communicate with us is this. When he gives you a lot, it comes with grace for you to be able to respond to the assignment. You're never supposed to see anything operating independence of grace. He graciously gives us the ability to respond and obey through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. I say that for both men and women that are feeling the pressure of financial responsibility, and I know that it's okay that I love God and I'm going after God with my own heart, but I have responsibilities. No, you have the ability to respond 
with your heart of right response, you're going to access the resources that have less to do with the sweat of your brow and the resources that have more to do with the faithfulness of his grace. I have sat with many fathers who have said, what about finances for my children that need to go to private universities? Will he provide? When you get to see the glory being revealed in your children, when it comes to their identity in Christ, despite some really foolish and irresponsible decisions in the natural by the parents, when you watch your children grow up in the knowledge of how they, how loved they are by the father, instead of how this mythical God of dualistic religion that teaches them how to do God's work for him, you will never look at it as getting to the end and it being about the sacrifice that you made. But the glory you have inherited, when we come to the place where to the best of our ability we obey and grace will give us the ability to respond at a higher level of obedience. We are not to leave today's grace to travel six months from now and start future tripping. Hey, if you're enjoying this, can you give some likes in the uh, live chat? I'm just about finished it, by the way. It's coming up to the end. Perfect love comes to cast out all fear. And I can balance that out with some teaching about not being lazy and sitting on the couch with the belief that God is going to drop a paycheck in your lap while you play video games. But that's not the people I'm talking to. I'm not talking to sluggards, but to hungry people. Not to slothful people, but hungry people who want their family to be in the middle of the move of the Spirit of God. And unfortunately, we spend time wrestling with how that works with our understanding. Peace surpasses all understanding. And he has not promised the righteous. We will never be forsaken. In Christ, because of his work at the cross and the promise of the comforter on the day of Pentecost, the works and authority of the devil has ended. Now the Holy Spirit authorizes you and I to function at the right hand of the Father. If we advocate that authority and continue on our own self-loathing, the hanging down of our bottom lip as we say, woe is me, the enemy has permitted us permitted to use what you and I leave laying around by us not knowing who the Holy Spirit is, empowering, enabling us to be and to do in us and through us, it has devastating consequences. The purpose of this theological upgrade is not to ed educate our minds and thus fill our heads with right doctrines, but rather to equip us to engage 
in a higher measure of relational fellowship. The Greek word for truth is not doctrine, but reality. Aletheia means the manifested, unconcealed essence of a matter. It is how the truth plays out relationally that matters. A living, saving faith depends on the premise by man that God is true and his being and character. It is not the acquisition of more superficial head knowledge. Saints that receive a personal breakthrough during the growth process understand that it is not possible without a solid understanding of the Trinitarian theology. The breakthrough is never an intellectual one, but rather one that comes by intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit and his word. Saying this, when we understand we are not being equipped for elevated intellectual endeavors, but are being equipped to pontificate about the things that are not capable of being understood by even the most prudent among us. More importantly, we are being reconditioned for an increased level of intimacy, in this case, with the Holy Spirit. One of my principal points of influence since 2009 has been the finished work of Christ. How then do I reconcile this with the Holy Spirit being the finisher of the curse? The finishing is fully accomplished, but the evidence of this finished work is waiting on you and I to begin to walk in our inheritance as the sons of him that was born of the first fruits, which is in Christ. Did you hear that? Whoa, that was powerful. The immersion into assurance happens by the way of the believer becoming born again and receiving the Holy Spirit. Some theological circles refer to this as the already not yet, as the curse is finished and being finished once and for all. And we all have unveiling face while reflecting in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory unto glory, according as from the Lord Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Let me say it like this. The check has already been written by Christ for the church. The body of Christ. Now you and I need to cash that check. Stand in our weakness and receive the resurrection power that comes from the Holy Spirit. The finished work of Christ is brought to its full manifestation and intention in the man who under the government of the parslet has and is becoming the fully restored image bearer of the very Christ who finished the curse. That man becomes a witness to the whole of creation 
that the great Redeemer is the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. The transition from law to grace. Okay, this is where I, this is where it all comes home here, folks. Just listen carefully to this last bit here. The transition from law to grace is a necessary place to start, but not the right place to stop. The word grace is never mentioned in 2 Corinthians 3. However, the word spirit is mentioned seven times from the original text. We must move from the torment of the Pentagon's government into the rest and the glory that comes as a result of being fully governed by the paraclete. The goal, after all, was not just to set you free from the consequences of sin, but rather to liberate you from a bankrupt identity. And the curse is not fully finished when you and I are not dying and going to hell, but the curse is fully finished when you and I are conformed to the image of Christ. Signed, your brother, S.B. Ah, uh, his sermons, whatever you want to call them, are, are pretty long. But I find the insight is incredible. And I hope you were able to follow along with that, with my reading. And if you were able to follow along with it, you should now be absolutely free from the power of fear in your life. Lord, I just pray for everyone here that, Lord, we get a greater revelation of how we are to move past understanding and into your peace. Increase our faith, Lord. Let us believe and eradicate all fears from our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. May God richly bless each and every one of you. And remember to love him first. Love your family. Love your neighbor as yourself. And without fear, make a difference in your community. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.